Hey, would you stay standing just for a brief moment? God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And God, I thank you that at this source of what we sing about today, God, I thank you that the source of the reason why you can disturb our religion and disturb all of our traditions is because 2,000 years ago, you sent your son Jesus. God, and it was your love for humanity. It was your grace for humanity that just changed the game for us. And God, I pray for every single person that's here this weekend. God, people that might need a fresh revelation of who you are, I pray that you do it this weekend. God, people that don't know about your grace and about your forgiveness, my prayers that you would do it this weekend. And God, the only way that the, that the religion gets disturbed and the traditions get disturbed is when we encounter the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he said, what he was about, what he believed about us, and what he did for us. And so Jesus, your word says in, in the book of John that when you're exalted and when you would leave planet earth, God, that you would draw all men to yourself. And God, I believe that there's a pattern there. I believe that there's a pattern that as a church, if we would just exalt you and as we lift you up, Jesus as the center and as the focus of why we gather, why we sing, why we have community, why we sacrifice and why we serve. Jesus, as you're exalted in this place, God, our prayer is that you would draw all men and women from every corner of our city, from people in the four corners of the world, God, that have access to internet, that can watch this online. God, would you do something profound this weekend? And would you change us in the precious, mighty name of Jesus Christ? And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, hey, give somebody a high five and you can be seated. Anybody ready for a, a good weekend in church? I'm going to give you another shot because I believe that deep down inside of you, you really want a good weekend at church. So I'm just going to believe that about you. Anybody ready for a good weekend at church? There we go. Um, we're we're going to be finishing up a, a series that we've been calling People Are the Worst. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Has it been a blessing to you? Have you enjoyed it? You feel like your relationships are getting better? Maybe, maybe you as a person are a little bit less worse than when you started coming here. Um, that's been our prayer. Um, but I wanted to just take a quick moment before we dive into this, um, the topic for this weekend. Um, if you came to one of our physical locations, you had an invitation card on your chair for a series that we're going to be starting next weekend called Modern Jesus. I I'm going to just tell you, you're not going to want to miss out on this one because this whole series is going to be wrapped around the topic and this idea of who Jesus is. I think that there's a lot of questions when we think about the person of Jesus Christ. When you think about it, you kind of go like, okay, what does a carpenter from 2,000 years ago in Palestine have to do with how I should conduct my life today? If you think that and you have questions around that, you're probably not all that insane. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, I think there's a lot of people in your life that have questions around who is Jesus all about? Like, what is this guy? What was his mission? What was his philosophy? Does he even matter? And then on the back of this card, the question is, is he still relevant? We're going to be answering a lot of those questions and hopefully wrestling through some things together as a church family. And I want to encourage you, this invitation is for you. 
So come back next weekend. We also have invitations on our mobile app and online that you can get to send an invitation to some of your friends. But I wanna encourage you, come and be a part of next weekend because it's gonna be really special, I think, in the life of our church. And I believe that God's gonna do some cool things, not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we get to do life with. So come back next week as we kick off our new series, Modern Jesus. If you have your Bible, though, this weekend we're gonna talk about something that I think many of us, if we're not careful, um, this topic can become kind of just average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill. We don't put any significance on it. I want to talk this weekend about our words. I want to talk this weekend about our words. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Proverbs 18.21? This is the wisest man, other than Jesus Christ, to have ever lived. This is his proverb, his, his, his choice words of wisdom. And he says something that's kind of provocative and Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. And it says, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. What it's referring to is those, those who love it means those who enjoy the words, those who enjoy the communication will eat of its fruit. This passage is kind of weird. Number one, he says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. When you first read this at first glance, it kind of sounds like he's using some like hyperbole or something. Like, I'm going to add a little bit of dramatic flair just to catch their attention. I want them to know that their words kind of matter. Like, so I'm going I'm to tell them that life and death are in the power of your tongue. Can I tell you he's not using hyperbole here? He's driving home a point to us that is woven throughout the fabric of all of Scripture, and it is woven throughout the history of the universe, um, that our words really matter. But do you believe that both life and death are found and derived from the power of the tongue? I want to I press into that this weekend because I think if we're not careful, we can go out throughout the day-to-day relationships in our lives, conducting our behavior in the office place, raising kids, dating girls, dating guys, and if we're not careful, we won't realize the significance that is associated, that is associated by God with the words that we speak. Um, if I can, just for a moment, let me just remind us together as a church family Some of the powerful things that have taken place through words throughout history, one being all the way back in Genesis chapter one, remember that part of the story where the the heavens and the earth are created, the Bible says that God spoke them into existence, that the very world that we live in, the air that we breathe, the, the, the sun that we see, the rotation of the universe, the stars in the sky, it says that God spoke them into existence, power of words. When Jesus heard about his friend Lazarus had passed, he he went to his tomb and with a word, Jesus raised Lazarus up out of the grave. Power of words, pretty profound. With a word, Jesus performed every miracle and every miracle was associated with Jesus communicating words. It's the power of words. 
This one's probably pretty awesome, probably goes on the top of the list, and it says, um, with, with a word, when, when Jesus was crucified, he, he was on the cross, and with his final breath, he denounced sin and the power of sin dead and finished, and, and it's going to be incomplete from now on with one word, to telestai. It is finished. It's the power of a word. Jesus healed the nobleman's son with the power of a word. He quieted the storm with the disciples with the power of a word. He healed the centurion's servant. He cast out evil spirits. And then this one's pretty amazing. You want to see the power of your words? In Romans 8, um, all, really all throughout Romans, it, it, it communicates how you and I are saved. And in Romans 10, 9, it says something pretty profound. It says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. When we confess with our mouth, it will save your soul for all of eternity. You don't think that your words are powerful. The basis of our faith is sprung from a belief that if we can confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. Your words are powerful. Let's hope that they're powerful enough, right? Let's hope that they're significant enough. And yet I think we go throughout a lot of our day-to-day life in our relationships flippantly throwing out words. Any of you just the quintessential foot-putter-in-mouther? Anybody out there? Some of you are nudging spouses right now. Um, we, We can get into a lot of trouble with our words, but I wanna look, continue to look from the standpoint of scripture at how our words should be used, because I can tell a lot about you by the words that you use, right? You can tell a lot about people in your life by the words that they use. You can tell whether they're insecure or they're confident. You can tell whether they're kind and considerate and compassionate or they're angry. You can tell whether they're talkative and extrovert or they're an introvert and they don't want to talk to you. You you can tell a lot about somebody's words, words are almost like a gateway to what we believe. If I wanna know what you believe, I just gotta hang out with you for a little bit. And a lot of the times, our belief is shown the most through our words when we're under pressure, when we're in conflict. I can tell a lot about you by your words. I wonder how, how do you treat your words? Do you, do you throw your words around flippantly Or is there great care and great tact with the way that you use the words? Because the Bible says that there's only two types of fruit that come from our mouth, come from our lips, come from our words. There is either life or there is death. It doesn't just say like God's two favorite things that happen are life and death. It just says when you speak, you are either speaking life or you are speaking death. And the question that we need to be asking in our hearts is, what is the predominant thing through the way that I communicate? When I'm speaking to my children, is it words of life or are they words of death? When I speak to my spouse, is it words of life that build her up and esteem her or is it words that tear her down? What are your words? If you go all the way back to the garden and in Genesis 1, God creates the universe with words. He creates life. But also in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3, there was another aspect of words that brought death. The, you got, some of you guys know the, the, the story. The serpent comes, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve. 
And he asked this question and he says, did God really tell you not to eat of the fruit? Did God really tell you? And for those of you that know scripture, you know that that is the moment where history changed. Sin entered into the equation and it all was contingent and hinged upon words. From the very beginning, it was life and death all encompassed within words. If you want to produce death with your words, friends, let your words be in conflicts with what the word of God says. All the way from the very beginning, the way that division was created, the way that death entered the scene was when the enemy said, did God really say that? Is that really what God said? So I want to talk to us this weekend um, from John chapter one, verse one. If you would open your Bibles there, because there's something interesting that takes place. All the way from the very beginning, we see this battle via the vehicle of words between life and death. God was speaking life. The enemy was coming to bring division and speak death. And there's this interesting introduction in John 1.1. The Bible has this theological term. Theologians came up with it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. It just means they're kind of all written the same way. The stories are pretty familiar. The ways they describe things are pretty familiar. But when it gets to John, John's a little bit rogue. John had a different relationship with Jesus. He shares all these stories from a different perspective. And, And when he's introducing Jesus in the book of John... He introduces Jesus with a familiar, an infamiliar title. He, he, he doesn't say the, the teacher. He doesn't even say the word Jesus. Look at the way that he describes and explains Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. Notice capital W. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is John's description of Jesus. He says, all the way in the beginning was Jesus. He existed. He was there with the Trinity. He was there before everything all kicked off and started. And it says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He doesn't say teacher. He doesn't call him friend. When he's describing Jesus, he describes him as the word. Interesting. The word that the author used was the Greek word logos. It it just means simply word. It's the expression or declaration of a thought. means like the, the things that you think about, the expression of them is your words. AKA what you believe becomes words when you speak them out. And he's saying Jesus was the declaration or expression of thought. Anyone find that kind of weird? Anyone find that maybe, maybe like it doesn't make sense? How could Jesus be a declaration or an expression of a thought? Let me just jump right to it. Jesus was God's thoughts, God's expectations, God's heart displayed in a physical representation. It says that when, when Jesus came to planet earth, he was the word or God's intentions on display. God made his thoughts, his desires, his expectations, and he declared them in the form of Jesus. This is a different way of looking at Jesus, I think. 
God's going, listen, I, I, I have all these thoughts and feelings and, and things I want you to know. I want you to know that I believe about you and the way that I love you. And I want to give, give you kind of like a, a glimpse into what I really, really believe. I'm going to give you my word. And what I mean is I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, and he's going to represent what I think, what I believe, and what I, what I, what I dream about as it pertains to you and me. This is a pretty, pretty amazing gift. Logos, it was God made flesh. It was the expectations of God made manifest. But he calls him the word. You see, we, we get our, our word logic from this word logos. It means the, the, the word logic here, um, it literally means what is behind the words. Now, hang with me. I know we're just kind of getting all nerdy for a little bit, but it means what is behind the words or the meaning behind the words. So when, he, when God sent Jesus, he says, I'm going to send my word. Jesus is going to be the expression of what God thinks about. He's going to be the logic of God on display. Let me provoke something really fast before you call me heretical. Um, these pages are not simply the word of God. Some of you are like, I knew this red rocks place, didn't believe. Let, let me explain this. Let me explain this. There is a message or the word of God that God was intending to communicate through these words. Meaning you can't simply just read these words and know everything about God. He's trying to communicate a message through these words, a sense of logic through these words. Let me explain. Have you ever heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? My words make it sound like I'm talking about the distance that an apple travels when it hits the ground and rolls from a tree. But if you follow my train of logic, you know that I'm not necessarily referring to that. When I say that type of a saying, I mean that child is a lot like their parents. The logic behind the words expresses something deeper, something important about the words. It is the, the logic or the thought process behind the words. Stay with me. Jesus was God's logic on display. And he's going, listen, when you look at the life of Jesus, you are going to know my thoughts, my intentions, and my logic. The things that are logical in the mind of God, he says, listen, my mind is incomprehensible. The Psalm says that, that the thoughts of God are so much higher than our thoughts. So he says, I'm going to make it really simple. I'm going to give you a man that you can identify with, and I'm going to give you Jesus. He is going to be my words or my logic on display. You want to know what God thinks about. You want to know what makes sense in the mind of God. Look at Jesus. You want to know what God wants to say to you. You want to know what God thinks about you, what he believes for you. He goes, look at Jesus, because Jesus is going to be the exposure. Jesus is going to make visible the logic of God. If you think about this, Jesus is to God what your words are to you. 
your words, friends, are going to expose what you really, really, really believe. Have you ever caught yourself in kind of one of those moments that you're not proud about and you're like, stink, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Or you get really heated um, in a discussion at work and you're like, I shouldn't have taken it that far. I shouldn't have yelled at them. I shouldn't have called them that. I shouldn't have said that behind their back. Anybody gotten ousted for gossip? It just doesn't feel good. You go, I just shouldn't have said it to begin with. Why did I say that? Have you ever said that? Why did those words leave my mouth? Why did I say that to them? Why didn't I drop it? It's because there's something that is deep inside of you, in your heart, a belief that is getting expressed through your words. What you say It's like a window to what you believe. I like to say it like this. What you say is your audible thoughts. Friends, our words are really, really important, but I I want us to look at the heart behind why we say what we say and why we shouldn't say some of the things that Scripture tells us not to say. I say all this to say that your words will expose your logic. In John 1, verse 4, just a couple verses later, after John says, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he gives us a glimpse into what kind of a word God, Jesus was. He says in John 1, 4, he says, in him, in him meaning Jesus, was what? was life. Interesting. He says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And when he sent Jesus as the word, this word brought life. Stay with me. It's going to get way more simple in just a second. It says, and the life was the light of men, aka the logic of God, incomprehensible you couldn't possibly grasp it or understand it. He says, no, this, this guy that I'm sending you, he's going to bring life, but he's gonna be a light for you. He's gonna make this really simple. He's gonna help direct your path. He's gonna help show you the way in which you should go. Jesus was the word that brought life. Flip over a little further into the New Testament to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four if you're just taking notes, just write it down and it'll be on the screens. But in Ephesians 4.29, there's this interesting command. And now that we have this basis that has been laid for us, Ephesians 4.29 says this. It is a correction to the church of Ephesus. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. How about just a little bit? Right? Like, like what's, what's the gray area here? Can you, can you give us a little wiggle room? He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Stink. But only such as is good for building up. Some of your Bibles say edifying or for the edification of the one that's listening. And it says, as it fits the occasion. It says, only speak what is good for the building up as it fits the occasion. That it may give grace, say give grace, give grace to those who hear. So now let me explain something real fast, because when it's saying let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, some of us think, shouldn't cuss. I, I, need, to, I need to stop talking with so much profanity, 
right? I got to stop listening to Louis C.K. I got I to gotta change the movies that I, that I watch and that I listen to. Um, he's not saying that. that that's implied. Um, but what he's saying is let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That word corrupting means things that are not useful. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that's not useful. Useful for what? He says for the building up or for the edifying. So he says, don't let anything come out of your mouth that's not useful. Things that are going to be useful are going to be things that are going to build other people up. How do we build other people up? It's like the greatest management question in history. It's the greatest parenting question in history, is it not? Like, how do I build somebody up? The word edify, it literally refers to building up a building, like doing it sequentially in stages, seeing something built in front of you. How do I build somebody up? Great question. He says, by giving grace to those who hear. It's almost like he's saying, listen, if you're going to talk to somebody, just only speak grace. Y'all, when I've been studying this over the last few weeks, this has been so convicting for me because as I'm reading through the scriptures, I'm starting to be like, oh my goodness, I just shouldn't even open up my mouth. Right, like what's coming out of me is gross, and, and and I'm tearing people down, and I'm biting people behind their backs, and then I'm stabbing them over and over. Like this, it's it's not good. And he says, "Let nothing corrupt come out of your mouth, but only speak grace for the purpose of building people up." One more question: What is grace? The Bible says that grace is unmerited or unearnable favor, meaning that if you could earn it, it's not grace. It's only extending favor upon somebody that is not contingent upon behavior. Now, think about this. If we would take this type of speech to the people in our lives, think about how complex and difficult this could be because we're hardwired to go, you screwed up this way. I'm going to tell you how it is, and then I'm going to discipline you, and then we probably need some space. He's going, no, it's, it's, it, it doesn't have a purpose here. That it's not it's words that don't mean anything. It doesn't provide you with anything. It doesn't give you anything. It is corrupt talk. It's not of any use. What he's saying here is not to give a pass or a, a grade A to people in your life that hurt you or your children that make a mistake. He, he's saying, this is what I want you to know. When you're in your relationships, your words should always extend the fact that no matter what the condition is, no matter what their past holds, no matter what they have just done, no matter what they've done in the past and what they may do in the future, your view of them never, ever, ever, ever changes. That's hard. But parents, can I, can I, can I encourage you? Could you imagine having a parent? Take your kids out of the equation. We, we all know they might need to be drop kicked. Um, <laughs> could you imagine having a parent that on your worst moments... You lavished the same kind of love on them as when you did during their greatest accomplishments. Could you imagine that the way that you speak to them 
was as though they were your prized child, not your high child, <laughs> not your get kicked out of school child, or I stole money from you child, or mom, I'm sorry I wrecked the car while you were gone child. What if you extended that kind of grace to the relationships in your life? The book of Ephesians is gonna say, when you do things this way, you will build people up and your words will bring life and they will be of great use. I wonder how full of grace are your words? How full of life are your words? Typically a good indicator of how full of life your words are is how many friends do you have? Because somebody that continually speaks negatively, continually speaks behind people's back, typically they don't have very many friends. But the people that are always encouraging and they're always speaking life and they're always building people up and encouraging the best in them, those people are always getting the text going, can we hang out? Can we go to coffee? Be my friend, right? You have a waiting list. Why? Because your words build up the people that are in your life. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke in the sixth chapter in verse 45. You want to know how you become a person that just speaks grace? that builds people up and speaks life? You wanna know how, how, how you move from speaking death over your own life, over your own situation, out of your own relationships? You wanna be a person that speaks life to yourself, builds up others, builds up your community. People that work for you are like, he is the best boss, she is the best boss. I've never felt better than when I work for them. Here's how, Luke 6.45 gives us the solution. It says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. I'm going to rewind. A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up. If you have your Bible, circle that word or whatever it is for your, for your translation, stored up in his heart. And then it says, and on the opposite side, an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And then here's the catch, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You wanna know sometimes why death comes out of our mouth? Because we're full of it. You can nudge your neighbor and tell him you're full of it. You got pastor's approval, you're full of it. You wanna know why good people say good things in and out of season and difficult moments, it's because they're full of it. They, they, they've taken the, the, the work and, the, and gone through the hard exercises of filling themselves up with good things. The Bible says what we need to be pouring out to people is grace. Do you wanna know how you extend grace? You receive grace. A few weeks ago, we talked about having unconditional love, and I dumped chocolate all over the whole front row. The way in which we give unconditional love is we have to first receive unconditional love. Jesus is going, I'm never going to ask you to give things away that I won't supply for you. 
I'm going to say that again. I'm never going to ask you to give something away that I will not supply for you. Jesus is our provider. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. If you need to give something away that is good and perfect, it will not come from you. It will come from God. That's why some of you got your feelings hurt. And I said, people in your life don't need your love. Yours is unconditional, it's temperamental, you require too much, you don't have enough of it to give. People need the unconditional love of God, and the only way that you can give that away is when you first receive it. The same thing is true for this. You want to give away what is good, you want to build people up, you want to speak life over situations in difficult seasons, you want to have a steadfast hope. He says you need to give away grace, and the only way that you give away grace is by first receiving grace. So you want to know what I've been doing recently? It sounds maybe juvenile. I've just been obsessing over grace. I'm like, God, what is the full extent of the grace that you give to me? Because I want to be able to give that kind of grace away. I'm tired of feeling like if I want to tell somebody about my faith, I got to have this whole theological list of explanations and how the world was formed and was it millions of years or was it really seven days? I'm getting a lot more fruit from my life just by leaning into his grace than I ever could being the smartest guy in the room. You want to give away what is good? Give away grace. You want to have life-giving relationships? You want to be the most popular kid in town, even at 45 years old? Give away grace. Because what is stored up will eventually come out through words. If you have your Bible, flip over to James 3.7, and I'm wrapping up. James 3.7 says this. It's, it's amazing. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and watch this and has been tamed by mankind pretty cool more than conquerors but then verse 8 says this but no human being how many human beings but no human being can tame the tongue well this is (laughs) see ya No human being can tame the tongue. This sounds kind of discouraging. Please hold. It says, it is a restless evil. Can't sleep, perpetually going. You leave it unattended to, and the evil is just going to spew out. It says, full of deadly poison. How graphic. Verse 9 says, with it, we bless the Lord our Father, and then we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. Anybody been there? We're just singing oceans. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And then the next morning, we're like, did you hear what Vicky said? Did you literally hear it? He's saying out of two sides of our mouths, we're producing life and we're producing death. And then he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says this, my brothers and sisters, you ain't off the hook. It says, these things ought not to be so. Wait a second. You just told us that we can't tame it. Right? He just told us you can't tame it, but that shouldn't be so. Shouldn't be so. Verse 11 says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? No. Verse 12 says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? 
or a grapevine produce figs. He says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Friends, when he says that no human being has ever been able to tame the tongue, can I ask you a question? Were you able to save your own soul? The Bible says that our salvation comes not based upon works, lest any of us should boast, but it comes only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It comes only through grace. It is by grace you have been saved, the Apostle Paul says. And friends, can I tell you, it is only by grace that you will tame the tongue. The more that you drink from grace, you learn about grace, you hear about grace, you're reminded in your communities about grace, then you will be able to tame your tongue and extend grace, not the poison that he says earlier. You cannot tame your tongue. If you've ever been in traffic, you've probably proved that. When God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus as an answer for our sins. The Bible says that in Jesus is the fullness of life. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. Friends, if you want to have a, a, a mouth that just spews grace, you have to first receive grace. The only way that you tame the tongue is through the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. You want to know why gossip is so bad. It exposes that you don't have grace for people, meaning that you don't understand the grace for yourself. I don't understand the grace of God for myself. Can I say, I've had to fight this so much recently. It stinks, but it's exposing in me my understanding of God's grace that fallen people in my life, if God's goal for them is restoration, my goal for them should be restoration. It should change the way that we think. It should change the way that we conduct our lives. We have to have the goodness of God in us. We have to have grace in us. That's why Proverbs 18, 21, the way that we started this off, I love the way it says in the message translation, it says words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Friends, can I encourage us? Choose grace. Choose grace. It'll help you speak life when you don't know that you could have done so any other way other than experiencing the grace of Christ for your life. Would you stand to your feet at all of our locations if you're able? In Colossians 4 verse 6 it says this, let your speech always, how often? Always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Anybody seen those memes of the guy dropping salt? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how it is necessary to answer each one. He means this, have so much grace in your heart that in any given moment when somebody needs it, you have the right words. 
You have the right words to build them up. You have the right words to encourage them. You have the right words to speak life. Parents, some of you need to have the right words when you're disciplining your children, when you're speaking to your children. Build them up, build them up, build them up. And the Bible says you cannot do it unless you give them grace. God, I pray for every single person here under the sound of my voice. God, I just I, I, I have dreams of this church being a place that speaks life in our communities. God, I have a dream of our church being a, a place where, where, where parents come and they hear about your grace and then they extend it to their kids. Where employers walk into their place of business and they proclaim grace and people go, where does that kind of grace come from? God, grace is gonna create a curiosity movement of people that are wanting to know who and what you're all about. And Jesus, I pray that people would begin to speak life. This day we choose, we make a decision to speak life even when our circumstance doesn't make it clear why we ought to. God, we speak life because you have only spoken life over us. We speak forgiveness because you have only spoken forgiveness over us. We extend grace because your grace doesn't run out. Your grace is not temperamental. And so God, today as Red Rocks Church, we want to commit afresh and anew to be a community committed to in our relationships, in our places of work, in our families to extend grace in the words that we speak. Jesus, we thank you for making all this possible. You were the word. You were the word that we want to declare. Your life was a message that people need to hear. Jesus, you embodied the logic of God, and the logic of God is love for humanity, a desire for relationship with humanity, God, a desire to forgive humanity, a desire to extend mercy to humanity, and as a church, God, we want to take your word, the message about Jesus Christ, and God, I pray that it would be fresh upon our lips, and that it would be a Upon our lips in abundance. God, how good and pleasant it is to dwell in the house of the Lord. It is the place where our grace is filled, our grace is renewed. Will you give us new grace every morning? Grace is the fullness of life and it is only bought for us by Jesus. And so today, Jesus, we choose to speak life and life to the full to those around us only because we first received grace from you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ and Red Rocks Church said,